Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 138, Samaritan Snare. I am Ken. And I am John. We look for things. We look for things to make a show. When we see things, we like to talk about them. Ah, I can't do it. I can't do it anymore. All right, each week on Mission Log, which you are listening to right now, Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I, John Champion, and you. I am Ken. Ken Ray. <laughs> We pick apart an episode of Star Trek, bit by bit, piece by piece, to see what makes it tick and see if it stands the test of time. Today's episode, Samaritan Snare. You know, if there's one thing that I've learned, John, it is that feedback makes us strong. And there's lots of ways to get in touch with us. <laughs> Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you want to leave us a voicemail, you can do that, 323-522-5641. That number again, 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including Discover Documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And please do remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. May I just say, I know it's a big deal that we got the Borg last week, and, and people are really excited about that, and it's a big mm-hmm. deal that we've had the Ferengi. Mm-hmm. We we right now are are looking at one of my favorite foils in Star Trek, uh, the the surgeon on uh, <laughs> Starbase. Uh, I yeah. heart Packlids. That'll be a new bumper sticker. I then. absolutely that, love the Packlids that you can put on your car. <laughs> <laughs> I can, or yours when you're not looking. <laughs> well, I I can't wait. Yeah, today. Well, today we introduce the pack leads, and yes. and uh, maybe we'll get to see pack leads again. But but here they are. Um, <laughs> they could have been the foil that I hear the Borg may in fact turn out to be at some point. Yeah, or, or they they could just replace the Borg entirely and just pick up where the Ferengi left off. Okay, you see, you, you're joking, but I actually thought about it when we were watching <laughs> these episodes. But you know what? You and I can probably have that conversation off mic, or maybe it'll come up in the show. But there's stuff that we have to get to before we get to the rest of it. Uh, one of the biggest things, of course, trivia. Yes. All right. So today's episode was written by Robert McCullough. Uh, he was a producer for a few episodes by this point, had uh, contributed as a writer to a few episodes by this point as well. Now, he has numerous other writing and producing credits. It's worth pointing out that he and his wife do a podcast called Where Hollywood Hides. So you can find that in your uh, podcast sources. It was directed by Les Landau. We've talked about him before. Uh, this was his fourth directorial contribution. Well, three and a half, really. Uh, you may remember that he was the one who took the reins after Russ Mayberry was let go from uh, Code of Honor. So uh, Les Landau was the one who finished it. Um, we have a reference here to William James, uh, Captain Picard, has uh, given a book of philosophy to young Wesley. And um, interesting about William James, he he was part of the uh, pragmatism school of thought. Interesting ideas, and I, I have to admit that I'm uh, much less familiar with William James than I am some of the other people that we've talked about on the show. Um, from what I can glean uh, with William James's philosophy, uh, he his interest is in truth and looking at the truth value of a proposition based on experience. And even more entertaining, I read uh, uh, Bertrand Russell having a lot of problems with William James. So if you're a philosophy student, just uh, read about those two going at it philosophically. Um, we have to say welcome back to Chris Latta, a.k.a. Christopher Collins, who we last saw as the Klingon commander in A Matter of Honor. Now, I, I will admit that when we last talked about him, uh, a few listeners wrote to me to say, how dare you not mention, and then you can insert your favorite Chris Latta project there. So uh, here's my mea culpa. I'm sorry. Yes, Chris Latta, Christopher Collins was indeed in Stop or My Mom Will Shoot. <laughs> oh, um, he also did a lot of voice work, including Transformers, and he was Cobra Commander on G.I. Joe. Okay. Wait, uh, wait, wait. Do me a favor. Uh, uh, I mean, oh, for, yeah. for the sake of completion, who does he play in this episode? 
Uh, oh, today, well, today he is the commander of the Pac-Lebs. Oh, is he really? Yeah, yeah. So Chris Christopher Collins is now, or Chris Lada, is now my new favorite actor. He is. Yeah. There you go. All right. You, you can go from Klingon to Pac-Led. You're, you're showing quite the range. Also, when they reboot L.A. Law, <laughs> yes. he's a shoe-in for Benny. Well, I, you may not remember, I think I brought it up in the previous episode in A Matter of Honor when we talked about Chris. He died young, um, sorry to say. Okay, so maybe he won't be playing Benny in the Ailey Law reboot then. No, I feel but, terrible. Hey, That's awful. Well, well, well here, I'll, I'll put a silver lining around that cloud. I'll tell you a very funny story that's on uh, IMDb about Chris. And that uh, when he, he passed away at the age of 44 from encephalitis. Now, um, he had a young son. And when that boy was at school, he, he would tell the other kids and we'd tell the teachers, my dad's a transformer. My dad is Cobra Commander. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so, so one of the school officials said this to Christopher Collins, Chris Latta, said, hey, uh, your kid seems to have quite the imagination. He goes around telling people that you're a transformer and that you're a Cobra Commander. And uh, Chris Latta said, well, I am. <laughs> so good for him. Nicely done. Yeah. Uh, Daniel Benzali plays the unnamed surgeon in this episode. Now, he was born in Brazil, and he has played recurring roles on General Hospital, NYPD Blue, L.A. Law. There you go, Ken. Um, He was also in the offices of the city of San Francisco as the character W.G. Howe, where he was killed by Max Zorin in A View to a Kill, if you remember that James Bond movie. And, uh, Ken, last week I mentioned the, uh, the stellar debut of Ensign Gomez, played by Lysia Naff. Mm-hmm. Um, and here we get her again. I'm so glad, uh, but I'm afraid that this is the end of the road for her. Wow, really? Yeah. This is she, it. Yeah, yeah. She was intended as a recurring character. Yeah. Um, and to be a little bit of comic relief. And this is it. It was a two-episode run. <laughs> <laughs> and we will not hear from her again. Now, that's so sad because it's not her fault that the writers couldn't write comedy. No, 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 not not at all. But but I tell you what, uh, we rarely ever mention the books here because that that's not what Mission Log does. Yeah. Uh, but I was very pleased to see that in the book series, well, there are multiple series of books of Star Trek, but in the series called Starfleet Corps of Engineers, Ensign Gomez has gotten a promotion and a starring role in some of those books. So there will be more of Gomez if you want to read it. Um, The shuttlecraft Sakharov uh, was named after a human rights activist and Soviet scientist Andrei Sakharov. Uh, He won the Nobel Prize in 1975. And since 1988, the annual Sakharov Prize is given to, uh, well, people or organizations who exemplify a strong commitment and advocacy for human rights. Now, we also saw that ship in Unnatural Selection. Um, and they, they actually replaced that in the Blu-ray remaster. Um, and that's why when Wesley says we're in Shuttlecraft 2, but then you cut in the original, you see Shuttlecraft number 1, uh, because that was just the stock footage that they had reused. Wait, so they fixed it in the, uh, in the Blu-ray, you're saying? Mm-hmm. All right. Sure did. Because yep. I was watching the original, I was watching it on Netflix, and yeah. I was too, yeah. Yeah, huge continuity, well, not huge continuity error. Huge if, you out of it. huge if you're a total geek, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Ruined it. It could have been like a 10 minute, you know, lesson for Wesley when, when, you know, Picard's like, we're an hour late because I was sitting in Shuttlecraft too, like you said. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> and then the captain did get the surgery he needed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, you may have also noticed that the uh, the starbase is the city from Angel One. Mm-hmm. So we had a uh, a replay there, and um, it, there is a line here where uh, Picard is sort of doing an homage to the uh, the Mark Twain quotation: "The reports of my death have been greatly exaggerated." Well, that quotation has been greatly exaggerated and misused and misquoted. So here I'd like to present it in its original form. In May of 1897, um, Mark Twain, Sam Clemens' cousin, who was very ill, his name was uh, James Ross Clemens, um, those reports started to come out about his illness and in at least some newspapers confusing it with Sam Clemens. So in a telegram, Sam Clemens, Mark Twain, wrote, 
James Ross Clemens, a cousin of mine, was seriously ill two or three weeks ago in London, but is well now. The report of my illness grew out of his illness. The report of my death was an exaggeration. So there you have it. And um, uh, just to add to that, because I found this incredibly entertaining, later in um, uh, November of 1897, he wrote wrote to, uh, I believe it was a newspaper editor as well, it has been reported that I was seriously ill. It was another man dying. It was another man dead. The other man again. As far as I can see, nothing remains to be reported except that I have become a foreigner. When you hear it, don't you believe it? And don't take trouble to deny it. Merely just raise the American flag on our house in Hartford and let it talk. I talk about Mission Log. I need Recap to talk about. Recap makes me go. Prologue. The Enterprise is on its way to the Epsilon 9 sector to perform an astronomical survey of a new pulsar cluster. All but young Ensign Crusher, he'll be headed to Starbase 515 for Starfleet exams. He's a little nervous, but Riker and Data point out that the experience he's had on the Enterprise should go a long way to helping him out. In sickbay, Captain Picard and Dr. Pulaski are arguing about something. Apparently the captain needs some sort of procedure. He's been putting it off, but now Pulaski is pulling rank as chief medical officer. She is ordering him to Starbase 515 immediately. When Picard fights back, Pulaski says she can perform the procedure, but Picard says that would be inappropriate. So he'll be headed to Starbase 515. With Wesley. In a shuttlecraft. Just the two of them. Riker is curious why the captain is leaving the ship. Picard was really looking forward to the survey of the pulsar things. Riker's actually a little pushy about why the captain is leaving. Picard tries to shut him down by assuring him that it has nothing to do with the Enterprise and everything to do with image. In the corridor, Wes, Geordi, and Ensign Gomez are discussing how nervous Wes is. Six hours by himself with Captain Picard? Ensign Gomez says he shouldn't be nervous. They bump into Picard... Jordy tries to make small talk. Picard gives him a look that could freeze lava, and yeah, nothing for Wes to worry about at all. With the Captain and Wesley off on their way, the Enterprise is back underway for the Epsilon 9 sector. Or it would be if not for the Mayday from the rhomboid Droninger Sector 6. Ship unidentified. Distress. Nothing more. It'll take them away from their mission and take them further than they would like from Captain Picard but the Enterprise will answer the call. Act 1. The Enterprise makes it to Rhomboid Droninger Sector 6, where it finds a subwarp ship seemingly in distress. The ship is the Mondor, manned by the Packleds. They are far from home. Their ship is broken. They need help. They look for things. Things to make them go. They need help. These guys are idiots. A quick assessment shows no problem that Chief Engineer Geordi LaForge shouldn't be able to fix. Security Chief Worf really must protest, though. Having already been swatted down about raising shields when they arrived, he hates the idea of sending the Enterprise's Chief Engineer. Why not just send over instructions or something? Riker shuts him down again. They have an obligation to render aid. Geordi gets ready to head over. On the shuttlecraft to Starbase 515, Picard is soliloquizing. Except, of course, Wesley is there. Complete waste of time, says Picard. I shouldn't even be going. Finally, though, both Wes and we are let in on what the captain is going for. He needs another cardiac replacement. His heart was injured, and a replacement was necessary. That should have been it, but the replacement was faulty, and now he needs yet another artificial heart. Back with the Enterprise, Geordi beams aboard the Packlid ship, the USS Ship of Fools... The Packlids patiently explain to Geordi that they look for things, things that make them go. Yeah, he'll get on fixing their navigation system. On the Enterprise, Counselor Troy hits the bridge a little freaked out. She says what the Packlids feel is not helplessness. Geordi is in great danger. Act 2. Troy says help is not what the Packlids are looking for. Riker's having trouble believing that the morons on the Mondor could be up to anything, though... He does seem to be taking the situation a bit more seriously. 
On the shuttlecraft, Picard is muttering about his odds in surgery. They're pretty good. The technique is 97.6% successful. Still, he hates the idea of his innards being opened up for Starfleet gossip. Crusher asks why Picard didn't have Pulaski perform the procedure. Picard says, personal reasons, and let's just leave it at that. On the Mondor, Lieutenant LaForge is working away. Commander Riker calls over to make sure things are okay. Counselor Troy was worried, you see. Geordi says no reason. Besides, he's almost done. And then he's done. Until the Mondor's main power dies. Looks like this is going to take longer than he expected. On the shuttle, Wes... Wes gets weird. He tells Picard that he figures Picard would rather have Riker along than him, but it's cool. He gets that Picard doesn't like him. Picard doesn't like kids. Wes says that's too bad, though. He might have made a good father. Picard thanks him and moves away. Back on the Mondor, Geordi is still working away. Repairs complete, he's ready to beam back to the Enterprise. The Packlets say, he's smart. They need him. One takes Geordi's phaser and stuns him. The Mondor then raises shields, blocking the Enterprise from beaming Geordi out. And they block communications just for good measure. Those shields, by the way, far too advanced for the Packlets. They must have gotten them from somewhere. Act 3. The Packlets are keeping up radio silence. The Enterprise raises shields, arms phasers, and increases sensor sensitivity. Just because the horse is out of the barn is no reason not to shut the door, apparently. On the shuttlecraft, Picard offers Wes coffee and a sandwich. Coffee no, sandwich yes. And more potentially awkward questions from Wesley. But Picard seems to be warming up. They talk about women. They talk about discipline. And how Picard used to have none. He tells the story of being on leave from Starfleet Academy. He and a few of his friends were at Far Space Starbase Earhart. Sort of a backwater back then. Picard was young and cocky. Hanging out at the Sector's version of the Moss Eisley Cantina, Picard and his pals come across a trio of Nausicans. The Nausicans are looking for a fight, and Picard was happy to oblige. He stood toe-to-toe with the worst of the three. He was insulting. He fought them. And things seemed to be going well, right until he was stabbed in the back. And through the heart. They hadn't been so close to a medical facility, he'd have been dead. Back on the Enterprise... Yeah, they're helpless. On the Mondor, Geordi is just waking up from being stunned. The Packlets tell Geordi to make them more phasers using their working replicator. On the shuttle, Picard is telling Wes to study art, history, philosophy. Anyone can learn to pilot a ship. The more you know, the more everything they do can mean. Back on the Enterprise, Counselor Troy says everything the Packlets have done has been deceptive. Nothing that they've said has been sincere. Data says the same thing in a different way. There was never anything wrong with the Mondor. It was just programmed to seem so. Apparently a trap to get a decent engineer. On Starbase 515, Wes sees Captain Picard at the medical facility. Turns out Dr. Pulaski actually asked Wes to make sure Picard actually went to the doctor. Wes says he enjoyed the trip with Picard, and Picard says he enjoyed it too. On the Enterprise, the Packlets are finally re-establishing communication. They turn the cameras on... Stun Geordi with another phaser blast. They say they want all of the computer information from the Enterprise. Act 4. Senior staff decides they'll have to take the Mondor by force. Getting to know the Packlets, they used to be nice guys. Then it seems they stumbled across technology that made them stronger than they should have been otherwise. This excited a desire for such things. They're no longer content to evolve naturally. They want what they want when they want it. Which is things to make them go things to make them strong, and now. Riker decides to try to trick the Packlets into lowering their guard, then yank Geordi out. Communication established again, the Enterprise uses a thinly veiled code to let Geordi know what to do. The conversation convinces the Packlets that Geordi knows about weapon systems. That should get him close to their weapons, which should help in breaking the Packlets' hold on the chief engineer. On Starbase 515, Picard's on the table. The surgeon thinks the operation will be easy-peasy. Picard's in good health, and they've done this procedure a hundred times before. But it's that hundred first time that'll get you, huh? Picard is not doing well. In fact, the surgeon says Picard is dying. Act 5. It's sort of more of the same. Geordi is weaseling his way into the Packlet's weapon system. Picard is crashing on the table. The Enterprise is working on its side of the plan to trick the Packlids. 
Things get dicey when the Enterprise receives a call from Starbase 515. Captain Picard is near death. Apparently we've done away with HIPAA laws in the 24th century. The new surgeon brought in to help says he knows of only one doctor who could save Picard now. The trick engineered by the Enterprise and LaForge is comically comical, but you really don't need to be that sophisticated with it. They're Paclids. Realizing they're not strong after being tricked, the Paclids relent and allow Geordi to be beamed back to the Enterprise. Good thing, too. Remember how Picard was near death? Yeah, they need to get to him post-haste. Now, what good will getting there do to Picard if he's dying? Remember the part where only one doctor could save Picard? Turns out that one doctor is Catherine Pulaski. If she's here, uh, then the whole crew must know. But Pulaski tells Picard, don't worry, you're still the captain. Invincible. Picard and Crusher return to the Enterprise. Too much applause. Pretty sure that's all for the captain. Good news, though. Ensign Crusher did well enough on his exams that he'll be able to keep studying on the Enterprise. Now it's off to Epsilon 9 Sector. The end. Ken, I hate to skip right to the morals, meanings, and messages. Mm -hmm. um, but one thing occurred to me while you were reading this, um, that if you've ever worked in tech support in any way, whether professionally or maybe just for your family or something like that, mm -hmm. at, at, at some point you have to feel like the Enterprise crew toward the pack leads and you want to just say like, okay, look – Hand in your smartphone, hand in your computer. Here's a typewriter and, and a flip phone, and we're done. That's what you're going to have. See, and, you say mm -hmm. that, but I will tell you, there's – so my love of the Packlids is deep. I mean, it, I, it, I know. it runs I know. very deep. Yeah. So I, yeah. I, um, I have another show that I've talked about here before. It's called Mac OS Can. And when I first started my podcast there forever ago, people would write to me and ask for advice. Like, how do I fix this? How do I configure this? How do I put this together with this thing? Yeah. And I would regularly respond, I am a Packlid. <laughs> you hand me a good piece of technology, and I will use the, the heck out of that good piece of technology. You hand me a broken piece of technology, and I will hand it back to you and say, make it go. I mean, that's that's sort of who I am about mm -hmm. the whole thing. So so I understand what you're saying. But but my heart's with the Packlids on some level because, yeah, if my computer ever breaks, I'm just going to cry and buy another computer. There's actually there's a great conversation recently on uh, another podcast that I listened to, Skeptic's Guide to the Universe, talking mm -hmm. about that very thing, about how as our technology evolves and, and as our economy changes, that you can end up with this really, you know, down down the road, but maybe not that far down the road, this really wide schism where suddenly people don't know how to make and manufacture and repair the things that they have. You oh, know, yeah. If you did have something really catastrophic yeah. that, that wiped out a lot of technology, a lot of Dude, us would really be screwed. When yeah. the war comes, when the asteroid hits, mm -hmm. when, when, the, when the plague happens, I'm boned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One last tweet from me, and that'll exactly. be it. Exactly. Yeah. Oh man, it won't tweet. Oh, <laughs> oh well. Make it go. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. All right, moving on. Um, uh, they were in the Epsilon Nine sector, mm -hmm. and and I wondered if this is the place where the space station Epsilon Nine was from Star Trek: The Motion Picture. And if it is, I hope they left a wreath or or something behind, because that's typically what you do when a ship goes over where another ship went down. Then you you, you do something. They yeah, weren't actually put, they weren't the actually there. They were going there. Well, that's true. Well, well, maybe if they eventually got there, yeah, hopefully maybe so. They have a thing to do. Um, I actually, I like the scenes between Picard and Wesley, but the dialogue is, is a little rough. Mm -hmm. Uh, it, it's sort of like Wesley is baiting Picard rather than just having a genuine conversation. You, you, you would have liked Riker better. You don't have kids. You know, speaking of Twitter, it's like when you read people who kind of, you, you know, they're looking for a reply like, oh, I'm, I'm not smart. Oh, I feel terrible about myself. And it's like you're trying to get this feedback to say, no, no, you're fine. You're great. You're wonderful. <laughs> I feel that way with Wesley. It seems yeah. really, really out of character. and really It's, it's easy to rewrite this 25 years later after having seen it more than once. But it would have of actually course. been great yeah. if they had gotten snipey with each other. Because yeah, you're right. I yeah, mean, they're, yeah. they're writing Wes easy lines to get Picard to start talking. 
Mm-hmm. But I mean, they can't have been easy lines for Will Wheaton. <laughs> because, yeah, yeah, right. Because they're right. painful. They're painfully awful. And even as a 15, 16 year old kid, which he would have been at the time, he's got to look at that and know that that's not really what he would say to the captain of the ship. You know what? It would have been much more interesting, a much more interesting way. So we're just going to rewrite it right now. Yeah, why not? A much more interesting way to get into that conversation and get a reply from Picard. Uh, if Wesley West- had gone, I killed a guy once. You? Well, maybe, maybe. <laughs> but no, you want to but- see a body? Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> what, what would have been better? Your no, way. If Wesley had just said, hey, thanks for that book you gave me. I, I've started reading it. Here's what I got. You know, and just something that, uh, that acknowledges that, that that happened. All right. You know? I'm going to rewrite the episode without you. I'll give you credit, though, because it was your idea. So, you know, okay, all right. inspired by. You'll have an inspired by credit. Oh, thank time. you. Thank yeah. you for that. I was much more intrigued by the sandwiches. Yeah. Conversation. I, I really, I sat and thought about that a long, long time. <laughs> a, a, it's really charming yeah. that, that they, they bring sandwiches along. And then I thought, okay, well, did, did Picard make them? Or did he replicate them on board the Enterprise before they left? Do they have a thermos for the coffee? This is all really important stuff. Well, interesting. So you're assuming they don't have a replicator on the shuttle. Well, see, at one point I thought they did, but but I thought they would have made a thing of that if they did. Like Picard saying, hey, I'm going to go replicate a sandwich. Do you want to... Do you want a steak or a okay? You know, Here's the thing that I you know. he brought a book. I mean, that's all we saw him carry on. Now, of course, Wes was supposed to uh, get the shuttle ready. All oh, right, and they, maybe at that point you're in charge of sandwiches. Maybe well, and and a French press apparently because I mean the the filter had been taken out, but that's what he was pouring the coffee from. It seemed, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. being the being the Francophile that he is, of course, it makes sense that he would have a French press. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I, I thought it was great. I thought we'd do a whole thing about the, the food of the shuttlecraft. <laughs> okay. Well, if you want to do that for like another 10 seconds, were the, were the crusts cut off? Oh, I think they were. I they believe were, they, they were. were. Kind of. They were delicate little sandwiches. They were. They were, they were tiny little yeah. delicate sandwiches and Picard talks with his mouth full. Yeah. Which again, <laughs> like if you've got a replicator, um, <laughs> that wouldn't be my first choice unless that guy just loves delicate little sandwiches. Maybe he does. Petite sandwich, crust cut off. <laughs> room temperature you know because i <laughs> right. I, I order things with temperatures as well yes exactly uh, it was kind of cool that the the star base is is like a place like up until now when we say star base it's like a a, a thing floating in space it's a you know a, a space station and here it's just hey we got a planet we got materials we'll build a city we'll make it look like that one on angel one hmm with less revealing costumes. See, my thinking was actually that they were um, that they ran short on funds that they you know, were borrowing from this episode to do the last episode because I, mm, I assume oh, that oh. a star base is supposed to look like a star base, not okay. Well, just get us that painting that we used that other time and put it up there. Well, because well, really? we're calling it a star base, nah, nobody's going <laughs> to notice. Who's going to talk about that? Please. Yeah. Well, there, there's definitely yeah from from the practical production yeah. standpoint, the, there is that. But I think the other side of it is that a, a star base is wherever you put a base, and whether you hang it in the sky or you put it on a planet or a moon or wherever, it's just we need a location here, mm-hmm. and why not have one on a place that already has atmosphere, <laughs> so we don't have to um, okay. import that as well. I will buy your argument if we ever see another star base on a planet. That's not the same. That's not the same painting. Okay, sounds All right. good. All right. Sounds good. So keep right. your eye out for the next thirteen, fourteen years, however many. Yeah, a good stunt with Shorty getting shot with the phaser. Yeah, that, that, that one the second time when he actually hits the wall. Wow. Yeah, yeah um, that was kind of crazy. And that and the, that, that would have been him just like throwing himself against the wall, right? <laughs> right, right. That was it. Was nuts. It was really. I mean, there there was a lot of physicality to that, which is weird. Well, and then they really play it because later on he he's kind of walking uneasy and kind of clutching himself. You know, yeah, it's, it's good. His side, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, thank <laughs> you for that. No, well, that's important. Didn't see it. No, I just want to yeah, make sure. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, I, I also I thought that surgery uh, was you know it looks easier in the twenty fourth century, mm-hmm. um, but I wondered why they don't use things like transporter technology for for some of that procedure you know i, I mean you think of it this way like in uh in star trek 4 mm-hmm. um mccoy 
Has a pill that'll grow her a new kidney. He's got a pill that'll grow her a new kidney. And then when they find Chekhov, he just slaps a little thing on his head and goes, come on, wake up. And in this, you've got all the guys around in these, you know, red costumes. Fortunately, so they don't show the blood. I assume that that's what that was all about. Yeah. Um, but it, it just is he bleeding? Like, who can tell? Who, who knows? Who knows? <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it just seems like uh, I, I would hope that by then that there are better ways to do invasive procedures. Hmm. You know. Well. I mean, dramatically speaking, though, it means a lot more that you're actually going to open the guy up, right? I it mean, does. honestly, it I would rather, I would like to think that we could just, you know, put in a few nanobots and, and have it, you know, heal the heart he had, mm-hmm. especially by the 24th century. I mean, I'm, I'm hoping for that, you know, by the time I'm 60. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, totally. You know? right. So, right. Uh, and that's not that far from now, actually. Mm. Well, speaking of funding that research, go ahead. I'm sorry. Right, right. right. But but the the drama of it all, um, I I kind of hated the scenes with the doctor, not not Doctor Pulaski, but the unnamed surgeon, yeah. who's just spouting off jargon in a super dramatic way. And actually, it took me out of it because all I could think about was Leslie Nielsen in the airplane, mm-hmm. just just like popping into the cockpit and saying something dramatic and then turning around and leaving. And that's kind of how this hit me. Well, it's a science fiction thing. I I remember reading a role-playing book years ago that said, you never ask for a wrench. You ask for a hydro spanner. And and it's just to sort of get people in the whole science fiction thing. Actually, what I love is how surgeons, and forgive me if there are any surgeons listening, you do marvelous work. I'm very impressed. I I love what you do. Our, our portrayal of surgeons, you know, like the whole, yeah, I'll breeze in, I'll do it. I'll be out in time for my three thirty tea time, you know, right. you know, right. kind of right. thing. I mean, that re- he really is. He's that stereotypical surgeon at the very beginning of it. I'm not saying all surgeons are like that. Heck, I'm not even saying any surgeons are like that, right. because I want to curry the favor of surgeons, is what I'm saying. But um, well, well, that's yeah, part he, of what he's doing was. the whole thing. Like, yeah, okay, we'll be in and out. It's breezy. He's healthy. We've done this a boatload of times. We'll be home by dinner. Yeah, and, and then it's dark outside, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm like elbow deep in this guy still, and I got no idea how to get out." <laughs> but, but even then, I think that's kind of what I'm saying is that I know doctors and surgeons. I'm sure you know doctors and surgeons and and they're, they're kind of real people. And one of the things about Star Trek is even if they're doing extraordinary things, they're, they're still pretty much real people. And this guy is very alien. Maybe we'll just say he's an alien or maybe we'll say he's an android because he just throws out these hyper dramatic things that Instead of saying like, "Yeah, he, here's what we're doing," and keeping his cool, right? So, yeah, it you was... know, they, they write him like a TV doctor. Yeah, they yeah, don't write yeah, him yeah. like a doctor. They write him like a TV doctor. Yeah, which, yeah, which yeah. I mean, so I shouldn't oh. say anything about how surgeons are in the 24th century. They're, but they're writing him like a TV doctor. Right, right. Um, Crimson Force Field shades mm-hmm. of Corbin Light maneuver, maybe. Well, for idiots. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's yeah. I, I was well. You know what? We could probably talk about about the whole ruse uh, uh, further on in the show. Yeah, I think we could. I, I think we could. Um, and, and I wondered uh, with Wesley passing the exams, what, what exactly does he get? Uh, apparently, the same thing as before. He gets to stay on the Enterprise. He gets to stay <laughs> on the Enterprise. I was just wondering if do... that was just like uh, like the six hours back to the Enterprise. Well, I guess there weren't six hours back to the Enterprise because they were at Starbase five one five. I was wondering if like yeah. on the way up, Wes was like, so I, I didn't pass. <laughs> right. Picard's like, uh, we'll keep you. And then yeah. they have to like come up with some story for everybody further up. You're like, oh, good right. news. Wes <laughs> gets to keep doing what he was doing yesterday. Mm-hmm. Excitement, adventure. A pack led craves not these things. He simply wants to be strong and to go. I don't know that this is as small a thing as I was going to say it is, but um, let's start with something that my first thought was it was kind of small, but we may have to circle back to it. Okay. I'm, I'm getting sick of the disdain with which Riker and Geordi treat other cultures. Mm. A- and this time it actually sort of bites them. But, but I mean, they just without even looking, without even knowing, without even hearing them or talking to them, Geordi uh, shows up on the bridge and says, let me guess, the rubber band broke, right? Talking mm-hmm. about the packlets. Mm-hmm. Dude! 
dude. <laughs> yeah. Because they can hear. And, yeah. you know, he's not even been around for them to be, you know, sort of seen as as challenged as yeah. as they apparently are. So he's saying that as far as he knows to a whole planet of philosophers. You know what I mean? Like that like right, that one right. where they where they're stealing kids to raise a new generation. Mm-hmm. Magrathia, except it wasn't Magrathia. You know the mm-hmm. one I'm talking about. It was a good plan. Yeah. Uh, a quick aside, by the way, um, Kirk would have apologized to Worf, or at least acknowledged his mistake, as he did with Lieutenant Savick in Star Trek II, as he did, I want to say, in the original series from time to time. Worf, mm-hmm. Worf was right about not trusting the Packlets. He's mm-hmm. like, we should raise shields, and right, and Riker's like, we're not going to raise shields. We should not send our chief engineer. Well, we're sending our chief engineer. And, you know, everything Worf said was right. And at some point, uh, Riker probably should have said, that's on me. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah sorry, yeah. man. Sorry. Let, let's well, not talk about it anymore, but sorry. Okay. And, and even for Deanna, uh, by that point, coming in and saying, these guys are not trustworthy, you know, and even when they call over there, it's like, that's really the point that Riker should have gotten them back. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's very much trusting his gut at this point. And then when his yeah, gut yeah, starts yeah. to get a little wonky because, well, it doesn't matter what Worf said, but because, you know, um, because Troy has come in and said something, uh, mm-hmm. then he calls mm-hmm. over to Jordy and, oh, no, well, let's just trust Jordy's gut instead. Right. I mean, so we've got a security chief, a guy who, whose job is to make sure that everybody is safe. And we've got an empath. Right. <laughs> we've got somebody who can read emotions borderline read thoughts and she's saying this is not right and they're like okay well we'll just we'll just stay as long as we want to then and then we'll listen to you yeah yeah um but it, but it, that that stuff aside just the it's like the worst of what starfleet has to offer it's like the worst of it's like when kirk would sail in and decide things about a culture i mean that's yeah. that's that's geordie's <laughs> attitude almost every week Right. And Rikers to an extent as well. And it just kind of, I get it. And, you know, hopefully they learn a lesson by the end of it. But it, it bothers me that, that, that their starting point is, pff, idiots. It's true. I mean, it, it, there is kind of a thing where the Enterprise constantly comes across ships that need help. You, well, you, you know, so it, it is sort of routine at that point. Well, they're not coming um, across it. I mean, they answered a distress call. That part that part I'm yeah, fine yeah, with. Yeah. I mean, that, that part I'm fine with. It's just the... Yeah. Treating them, I mean, treating them like lesser people, which I mean, I'll grant you, we find out they are people not to be trusted and people maybe to be a little standoffish sure, or to stand off from. But, um, but yeah, just it, yeah, something about it rubbed me the wrong way. Although, you know, there is something about the packlets because they're so incompetent with the technology they have. The Enterprise could slap a big, like, do not approach sticker on the back of their ship and they would never know. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> would never figure it out. You remember the uh, inflatable Enterprise that they had in the cartoon? Mm-hmm, Just totally. to- toss one of those over the viewport right. of the Spackled ship, <laughs> right. and pretty much you're good from then on. Right. Yeah, I like that idea a lot. Um, you know, uh, Worf, though, is the guy who constantly says, like, uh, oh, it's a thing. We have to shoot it. Uh, and, and Picard is usually the one saying no. And Picard is usually the one saying, don't raise shields. Mm-hmm. So maybe Riker is picking up a little of that. Let, let's be cool. Let's not do anything that would look aggressive. Um, yeah, Picard's usually got an angle, though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, the Packlids have opened the trap, mm-hmm. and, and Riker is just going to walk straight into it. Mm-hmm. I mean, Picard will use, I mean, usually has a reason for saying that, like he's going to talk to them or whatever. And granted, I'm the, look, I, the, the trap is a trap. I understand that. And, and sure. the Enterprise is going to answer a call. None of that do I have a problem with. I do think that Kirk would have acknowledged to Worf, by the way, you were right. But, you know, yeah, whatever. No, I agree with that. My real issue is just the whole treating them like, I mean, yeah. and, and it really does come back to bite them. As I say, treating them like idiots, treating them like the idiots that they seem to be. And, and and walking as blindly into the situation because it seems like the people in in the situation are idiots. It's like uh, it's like in the in the best uh, Star Trek movie ever, Galaxy Quest. <laughs> right, right. When when they see those cute little creatures, right, and the cute mm-hmm. little creatures, and then the cute little creatures grow these giant teeth and end up becoming like this massive killing machine. Yeah, it's a it's a bit like that, except yeah. it takes a little bit longer to uh, to that, to get to that payoff, I suppose. 
I, I thought Picard's character here was very interesting. Mm. And, and that, that is the interesting stuff that we get out of this episode. Um, that we reveal this kind of, not necessarily soft, but maybe vulnerable side to him. I mean, mm-hmm. he, he, he's literally screwed up by getting into a fight. And uh, he, he's kind of, you know, eaten up inside by thoughts of his image being diminished in front of his crew. Um, you know, fortunately for him, if he died on the operating table, he would never know if anybody thought he was weak. So there is that uh, in his favor. Um, but then I wondered, you know, why haven't we gotten beyond that in the 24th century where medical issues don't carry a social stigma or or if not social, at least within this command hierarchy. Um, now, I also wondered about his reluctance to have his medical history and current needs known among at least his senior staff, mm-hmm. because it kind of goes back to the Spock thing with Ponfar. Like, th- this is a thing. This is a thing we have to be aware of so we know what to do in case it shows up and in case it either incapacitates you or or whatever. But Picard is playing this so close to the chest, no pun intended, um, to not let anybody seem, not let anybody know seems really foolish. Hmm. Right. But, well, I mean, I don't know if it's a medical uh, stigma, though. I mean, I, I quote Depeche Mode, people are people. Mm-hmm. Picard's, I mean, he's dealing with stuff the way he deals with stuff, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. so it, I don't think he's like, oh, if I had a weak heart, then everybody would know. It's, it's. I mean, then, then, then people wouldn't follow me as a captain. It's more like, uh, if I had a weak heart, then I'd have to admit flaws, and that's not in my character. I mean, uh, we talk about what different captains uh, Kirk and Picard are. Yeah. But I mean, they they both do have an image to to project, and whether that's because nobody would follow a captain who they thought, you know, who they thought could ever make a mistake, or if it's just they get a certain amount of pride. Well, that's what I think was so interesting is that then I asked myself if a captain or or leader, you know, insert generic leader wherever needs to appear, needs to appear invincible. Um, you know, it's debatable whether or not that vulnerability makes him too familiar or too human or or whether it makes him human enough to be relatable instead of this, you know, wooden figurehead. On the bridge, I, I thought about when um, when Ronald Reagan got shot. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, regardless of politics, that, that, that's immaterial at that point. He, here is an elected leader who who has a, a popular following, and it is made more vulnerable than you can get. It, you know, he he's shot, he's down. I just remember the news coverage being immense. And then after that, when he recovered, boy, did people rally around him. I mean, this was the guy who faced death and and made it, mm-hmm. you know. And, and I kind of thought the same thing about Picard. Like, even if it's known that he's going in for this procedure, which is potentially deadly, yeah, we're still pulling for you. You know, you're still the leader. You're still the captain. And, and we're going to hope for the best and throw every resource we've got at making sure that you're better. I, I don't know that I, I guess the interesting thing is the psychology of the individual who, who would think that he would be uh, diminished somehow by admitting any kind of weakness or physical flaw or anything. Right. And I think that's actually, I mean, I think that's more to the point of what we're mm-hmm. learning about Picard today. I mean, it's interesting. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so Picard says to um, Riker, the very first episode, look, you deal with kids, okay, because I don't. Yeah. I'm, I'm not comfortable with children. And here we are, a uh, season and a half later, and, and he's being confronted by that. But the truth is, he doesn't deal well with people. Yeah. He deals well with the senior staff, but even then, if he doesn't feel like dealing with them... He doesn't deal with them. He's not Mr. Smalltalk. Jordy stops him and says, so, nice day for a trip. And yes, it's obvious that Jordy's trying to find out a little bit more about why Picard is going. But mm-hmm. Picard says, and that's it. <laughs> He's not even going to entertain it for a second. He's just like, you know, I don't even have time for this. And that's probably, the thing is, most kids aren't going to come to something that Picard is actually going to be interested in or care about. Wesley's different, partly because he's his last name is Crusher, partly because uh, the traveler told him Wesley's different, partly because he's kind of an officer on his ship, I and mean, he's definitely serving on his ship. So Wes is different in a few ways. But, I mean, the reason that Picard may have trouble with kids is because he just, you know, he, 
they got nothing for him. They got nothing for him, and so he doesn't have to deal with them. And because he doesn't have to deal with them, he doesn't know how to deal with them. See also anybody on the lower decks. I mean, he might be friendly or he might have a nice thing to say to them when they have something important to say to him or something like that. But he's not walking around glad-handing everybody. Mm-hmm. I mean, and so is it a question of and maybe and maybe that is a question, not so much of the invincibility, but the familiarity, because if if they know this about him, then they know something about him and half the way he interacts. Like, I wonder if, if there have to be people on the Enterprise who have never even physically seen Captain Picard. Absolutely. Which yeah. is kind of crazy to think about. And, but then I started thinking there are probably guys on aircraft carriers who have never <laughs> physically mm-hmm. seen their captain. It's mm-hmm. my guess because, you know, lots of people, big ship, and how often is he down in the engine room? Or, right. you know, down where you and I are peeling potatoes. Right. Because apparently right. we've joined the Air Force now. I, that, I don't know how that, that happened. I apologize. Yeah, much more interested in the Navy, um, uh, if anything. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean um, – it, it, uh, I think if you really sit here and think about it, it, it is a sort of a question about leadership style, leadership technique in general. Um, there is a good argument to be made that you can't have uh, you can't have familiarity, you can't have fraternization, you, you can't be too close and too personal. Um, but there's also an argument argument to be made that a well, when you're stuck like that for years and years on end on a ship in the middle of nowhere with people you will get to know those people and the argument to be made that just from a leadership point of view that some familiarity some friendship some bonding is not only going to happen but would also be important in cementing that leadership relationship as well Mm -hmm. you know so picard does it one way and that that's uh, understandable uh kirk does it a, a similar but i i still think different enough way and then i think we'll see other captains hopefully in the future who do it even differently from that. You yeah. Know? Kirk's probably a tiny bit more accessible just because he's, he seems younger and he's also a bit more rough and tumble. And, and maybe what Picard should do actually is, is put in an appearance at the science department's Christmas party. I was just thinking from. that I was just thinking <laughs> that. Yes. Know. Yeah. Just be sure and hold your synth hall because otherwise awkward transporter time later on. Yeah. So the pack leads, um, mm. they, they are smart. Um, yeah, <laughs> so, but it, what was interesting is we get to put ourselves v- via the crew of the Enterprise in the role of the godlike beings and, and deciding whether or not to allow um, or, or to consider how, how far advanced this other culture is and, and should we help them or should we not? We get to, to make the calls on that. And it's kind of like that old Star Trek message of you have to earn it. Um, only this time we're the ones who get to decide who has earned it. So the pack leads look to us like we must look to the Metrons or to Nagilam or to Q or to Trelane's extended family. You know, um, every single time that uh, an advanced race said, I'll come back in a few hundred years or come back in a few thousand years. But we don't want anything to do with you just yet. There were a couple of questions that I had around the packlets, actually. Um, first mm-hmm. of all, the um, the Harada, the Romulans, and the Klingons all helped the packlets at some point? Well, that seems a little weird unless the Klingons, they were something out of it. The Klingons yeah. maybe because now they're you know sort of technically allied with the Federation, if not actually part of the Federation. I'm not sure which. Mm-hmm. But the Klingons may just be bound by their deal with the Federation to help the packlets. The Romulans are are bound by I just that they are not just stuff floating in space now, having you know come across the Romulans and then having like pulled something over on the Romulans apparently. Yeah. Unless they're yeah. just you know buying this technology someplace else. I I did find myself and this is this is you know geekery. This is uh, dotting the i's and crossing the t's. I did find myself wondering. So they they have to leave to go help Picard right then, mm-hmm. but then they have to get Geordi off the ship first. Mm-hmm. Which I'm guessing means, unless they actually disabled the Packlid's engines, it means that, I mean, yeah, they don't have the photon torpedoes anymore because Geordi did disarm those. Right. But otherwise, I mean, just, well, set the trap again, boys. <laughs> and that's pretty much, I mean, they're, they're pretty much still out there doing doing what, the, what it is they're going to do, it seems. Yeah, yeah. Well, you got to put the cones around them. 
or well, you, you do put the, put the sticker on the ship. Yep, or just uh, throw that big inflatable Enterprise over their viewport. <laughs> something, something that will let people know this just doesn't look quite right. Yeah. Um, I kept getting caught in this episode on how nothing uh, was as it seemed. Nothing, mm-hmm. nothing, nothing was face value in this episode, with the exception of Worf, Pulaski, and 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 Crusher, maybe. Okay. Um, the faculties are not smart, but they're not stupid, or or maybe they're stupid, but maybe they seem harmless, but they are not. They they've they've evolved a way to survive that that relies on kind of their projected ignorance or stupidity or whatever it, it, it yeah I, I see what you're saying you know they they've figured out a way to get along far enough well they figured out a way to get further along than that there's no way they should yeah. have the romulan shields and yet they yeah. do there's yeah. no way they should have their photon torpedoes but they do they don't know what they're doing with them and they're they're certainly not the nicest citizens of the galaxy at that point but i would say they're yeah. doing more than surviving right right um but, I mean, they seem harmless, but they're not. Wesley learns that Picard's feet have even more clay than they had before. Mm-hmm. It's also kind of weird that this always comes out around Starfleet exam time, which is, I don't know <laughs> if that's intentional or not, but the last, when we heard that Picard failed the Starfleet exam, the way we heard that the first time, the way we heard that was because Wesley did yeah. not make it into the Starfleet the first time, or didn't make it into the Academy, excuse me, the first time. And now here he is going for more testing, and this is when we find out that Picard was all full of uh, hubris and vinegar. Or whatever. <laughs> he also had a bit more Kirk in him than we knew before. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I, I found that I found that whole thing interesting. Nothing is as it seems. It, down to the fact that the surgeon comes in and is like, "We're going to be out of here in an hour." I mean, everything yeah. everything has more layers than than you imagine it's going to in this episode. Now right. I'll go over. I'll fix the navigation. I'll be back in 15 minutes. Oh, it's not just the navigation. It's this other thing. Wow, it turns out it was nothing. That whole thing was a ruse to get me here. Right. So I, th- that, part I found, that part I found very interesting, that, um, that, that nothing is exactly as it seemed all the way through the episode. The Packleds are not stupid, at least not as stupid as Commander Riker thinks. Conversely, they are not as smart as they think they are. To me, it is as if a planet populated by Fredo Corleone got to go to space. All right, Ken. So the guy here who uh, is or uh, will have the um, the iHeart Packleds bumper sticker on your car. Yeah. Um, I, I have to ask you if yes. you think the episode holds up. Um. Yeah. I, I do very much. I mean, there are a couple of things I don't like. The ruse was was too convoluted. Well, I mean, there are a couple of things. If you're looking for ways for this episode to fall apart, let me make sure I understand. So the Backlands have a phaser they took from Jordy, and they say to Jordy, make us more of these. My guess is at some point he's in control of that phaser. Mm-hmm. This whole thing could have ended in Act 2 or Act mm-hmm. 3, whenever it was. So if you're looking for ways for this episode to fall apart, it can. I also thought the whole ruse with the crimson whatever thing yeah was um it was too quick and it was too dumb yeah it, it, that 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 part was goofy and the fact that at the end of it the the packlets just relented so i mean just immediately they're like oh we're strong we're strong oh we're not strong yeah bye because <laughs> <laughs> they still have him they still have physical control of Jordy at that point and they still have phasers so right. these are the weaknesses i would say as an unthinking bad guy, they are actually more similar to the Borg than I think you think. They're going around assimilating technology, not thinking about what they're doing, not giving any thought to the people they're hurting. Hmm. They're just doing what they're doing to to get further along. And it doesn't even seem to be for greed. It doesn't seem to be for any end except for more, more technology, more power. They're they're an interesting analog. Uh, partly because they're analog. They're an interesting analog <laughs> to the Borg. They're, and and there's, there's something really, there's a reason that clowns are so scary, you know? I mean, they look, they've got this painted on happy face and they seem like they're going to be great and then they turn into that thing from it. I mean, there's no telling what's actually going on behind sort of their goofy expression, what's really happening there. So the, so the Packlids are very interesting bad guys to me or very interesting foils to me and kind of scary as well. Mm. So in that respect, it holds up. And then learning about Picard, 
the stuff about Picard is fantastic. I didn't do his whole monologue, but you know, that's the kind of conversation that you needed to have with Wesley when he, when you're talking about how you deal with death. We've had these goofy, like, like things about death a couple of times now where they're like, Oh, you just, you, you learn to handle it or we don't have time to handle it now, but we'll handle it later. And Picard's like, yeah. So I looked down and there's a knife sticking through my chest and yeah. I started laughing. Yeah. Okay, well, that's interesting. He's not saying that that was a good idea. He's not saying, so here's what you're going to do. He's just saying, yeah, man, when it comes to it, you really don't know. Um, the, the, the dialogue to get them into that conversation is painful, but yeah, I, th- I think this episode holds up really well. The, the, I think the reason the, crimson, the whole Crimson Ruse thing bothered me was I was actually buying that there was danger until we got to the end of it. And he's like, oh, no, they did this. And I'm like, oh, ah, man. <laughs> This is just <laughs> right. this is too dumb, even for Packlids, I would think. But okay, so so to me personally, yes, it holds up. What about you? Uh, well, it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, you point out really good things about it, and I do like the background. You always we- say that before you say an episode doesn't hold up. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you're so you know me so well. Well, we've done this um, a few times, but go yeah, ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Um, uh, I feel like the Picard stuff is great, and, mm-hmm. and I feel like the Picard stuff you could have fit anywhere. Um, and, and I agree that the the dialogue is painful, but the information is great, and the exploration of the Picard character is great. Mm-hmm. And and if you look at it like I did, which is this kind of the examination of leadership, like how do you do that, and does this method work better than somebody else's method? I, I think that's all pretty valuable stuff. Um, and with the pack leads, you know, I hadn't until you said Borg. I hadn't looked at them as a threat, um, simply because by the end of it, I, I look at Riker and I just think, all right, congratulations, Commander Riker, you just outsmarted the dumbest people in the universe. So that that can go. That'll be the badge of honor that you get. And uh, Jordy, not only did Jordy have control of the phaser at one point, Jordy could have. He could have like taken a laser pointer and just used it like he used on a cat and just make them run all over their own ship trying to chase down the red dot. You know, yeah. that that would have been the, the other solution to that. You, you think that, but I got to say, um, Nazis. Wait, Sorry. Wait, I mean, wait, wait, we, <laughs> we, 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 dumb people have had a tremendous amount of power in our lives. And I'm not saying that they were. I'm not saying that the Nazis were stupid. Mm-hmm. I'm saying what they presented really, I mean, in retrospect, you look at that and go, wow, how'd we do that? I mean, just because you're not the most intelligent person in the world does not mean that you will not rise to power. And, and same goes for the Packlids. They're the, the Packlids are scary, man. I love them. They're cute. They're cuddly and they're dangerous. <laughs> I mean, they really are. They are a fantastic. They're so much better than so many of the bad guys we've already seen in, in, uh, in the, in the first season and a half of next gen. Well, yeah, I, well, it's interesting you brought up Nazis because I, I thought we were going to go for Godwin's law there for a moment. I mean, that, I, to me, that that is a slightly different thing where where rational people can rationalize themselves into an absolutely horrific worldview. Well, I was using them as an example. Honestly, I had other examples in mind, but the other examples I had in mind might offend people who are listening today. I trust anybody (laughs) who's listening today is not going to be offended. I'm going to say, you know, the Nazi thing was not a good idea. Yeah. How dare you bring that up? Uh, (laughs) And if that is the case, please send your emails to John. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe it's a way that they're played. Maybe it's a way that they're written. Um, I, I think the the undercurrent of terror, potential terror, I didn't necessarily get from the pack leads because somebody somewhere, probably Romulans, would just blow them out of the sky. Oh, look, a distress signal. Destroy it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, let's see so, what we can salvage. Yeah. 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 So then I did wonder, well, is it really believable that that they are that dumb or again, or is this just like a, a, an evolutionary trait that this is the way they present themselves, but this is what they have become. Um, so is it even believable that they have gotten into space at that point? Um, so to me, there are a lot of loose ends and a lot of things that kind of uh, suspended disbelief about them. So I, I didn't thoroughly enjoy this the way that you did, although I'm intrigued by the um, 
the kind of the darker side of the pack leads that uh, that you describe. Um, maybe we'll get to talk about them again in the future. So you you give it a pass. I I, I don't. I'm I'm on the fence, but I'm leaning toward the no. It does not hold up. Side though, I I dig the uh, the Picard stuff. What about messages? Because this seems like an episode where we could pull out some messages. Did you? Uh, well, I guess the whole thing that I was saying at the end of nothing being exactly what it seems. I mean, it it, it is fairly bonk bonk on the head, but just because something looks like looks one way does not necessarily mean it is that way. Now, I don't know how much more um I don't know how much more investigation they could have done before deciding the packlets were safe. I mean, uh, Data has run all of his scans. He has seen what the problem appears to be, although he's apparently just trusting the the computer from the packlet ship. So basically, mm-hmm. the packlets say there's something wrong. And so to check that, data goes to the information that the backlogs are putting out by their computer. And oddly enough, that also says there's something wrong. It's only later they find out that there is, in fact, nothing wrong. Um, right. Right. So, you know, maybe assuming that a thing is exactly what it appears um, it can be folly. And and I guess I would go back then to what I was saying earlier about not liking Jordy and Riker's dismissive attitude to what they see as lesser cultures or lesser creatures, because I mean, one of the one of the principles of Star Trek is supposed to be there is no lesser; there's just different. Yeah, and maybe yeah. your maybe your motives aren't good, and maybe your motives are great. But I mean, they the way they got into this trouble was by assuming that the Packlets were as stupid as the Packlets wanted them to think they were. They may not be, you know, they may not be able to do complex sentence structure, but they know exactly what they want, and it turns out they know exactly how to get it. I mean, they have to trick them out of what they want, as you said earlier, the same way Kirk had to trick the much more intelligent-seeming Balok. So, so, I mean, you know, not assuming that, I guess not assuming that somebody, just because somebody does not seem as intelligent as you does not mean you can just sort of uh, slough them off, and not assuming that everything is exactly as it seems, and then, of course, all the stuff that you were talking about, about, you know, leadership, and, and, you know, Wesley's, Wesley's whole thing about your heroes can have feet of clay and still be heroes. And this is actually the thing that, uh, that, uh, Pulaski, uh, tells Picard as well. Yeah. Everybody knows you got a fake heart. Guess what? You're still the captain. Yeah. So go out there and yeah. capped or, you know, right. whatever right. it is you do. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, yeah, that, that, that is the thing that you would hope that there is some residual effect on Picard then. Like we've seen a little bit of softening up of Picard. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe this is one more thing to say, okay, you, you can be revealed this way, but people will still have respect for you. You can still do your job. You don't have to be so wrapped up in your image <laughs> you know, you can actually relax and and be a human being and people will still respect you. Um, there's another message in Picard's story, which is uh, don't be a hothead because you've got a knife through your heart. Um, I, I kind of found, you know, is there a message here? Don't reach out to people in need because they will turn around and uh, bite you in the ass. You know, it's kind of the opposite of the Corbin might maneuver. Kirk said we have to go help the thing that almost killed us. And in this case, it's uh, those guys tried to kill us um, and have no idea how to use their technology. Let's disable them and get out of here as fast as we can. Well, if they disabled them, that's, I'm saying the, yeah, tra- oh, yeah. the trap is set again. I mean, oh, no, that, it, it, it totally is. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it, it'll take a Romulan to find them and then they'll be gone. Um, uh, talk in code to fool people, just like in the Wrath of Khan. Yeah, learned that. Um, and, you know, uh, as far as the pack leads go, strength does not equal intelligence. You know, might does not make right necessarily because um, they've assembled all this stuff that they don't know how to use and they want to be strong. But there seems to be no point in that strength. It just seems to be, well, like you say, kind of like the Borg thing. We just acquire it because that's what we do. And uh and that's that. So, yeah, there are messages here. Uh, and I think all the messages uh, hold up to some extent. <laughs> Especially the one about not getting stabbed in the heart. Don't do that. Yeah, really, don't do really, that at all. really don't yeah. do that. 
Uh, Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, executive producer Rod Roddenberry. You can find out more at Roddenberry.com. For more exciting Star Trek podcasts, please check out Trek FM. That's Trek.FM. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit TrekMovie.com. Next week, we'll put up the long ladder in the Mission Log. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. Be sure to look for my Warp 11 cover band, Crimson Force Field, at a venue, near you, soon. And Transmission. Transmission.